0: Welcome to Bloom Together, the podcast where we cultivate education leadership, innovation, and impact, one conversation at a time.
1: Join us as we learn from visionary leaders, share inspiring stories, and uncover strategies that drive meaningful change in K 12 education.
0: Greetings and good day, podcast listeners. This is Mike Caldwell, and you are listening to another episode of Bloom Together. Today we are Boise, Idaho at the Bloom office and joining me today is Katie as a veto. I should have clarified. Is that accurate?
1: That is perfect. As a veto. Okay.
0: And this is our first podcast or episode on our series that we're just starting called on supporting youth mental health in Idaho schools. So Katie is an Idaho native and has worked in education for nearly 20 years holds a hold, holding a variety of positions including classroom teacher instructional coach professional development facilitator research assistant, adjunct professor, and state-level director. It exhausts me just thinking about all those positions. You've done a lot. No,
1: I feel so young. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you look so young <laughs> through all that. And her focus is to promote positive learning environments through academic and behavioral strategies that increase the learning and achievement for all students. So that's a lot right there. What would you expand on that and, and maybe share a little bit about uh, your experiences and your background beyond that?
1: Well, as mentioned, I was a classroom teacher, so I come from a long line of teachers. My parents are both retired. I always joke that my sister attempted to be a banker, but she's also a classroom teacher now. So I'm always in for a conversation about how to promote success for students and educators And we really can't do that without talking about this big topic of student and staff mental health. So I'm so happy to be here today.
0: Yeah, it's such an important topic. You can't really go anywhere in in our education work without Mm -hmm. this topic becoming... Kind of central focus it seems, especially more recently. So I, I'm glad we're we're doing this series and hopefully really bringing not just attention to it because I think there's already a, plenty of attention to it, mm-hmm. but bringing hopefully some ideas on solutions and best practices and ways that we can help schools that are trying to figure out how to support students and and their staff. And I'm glad you mentioned staff because they're a huge part of this and and are not immune to the challenges and how we can help them. So. Let's get into it. So you have a lot of experience, and this is a very complicated issue, if you will, and or aspect of of, of education today. And I'm glad we're kicking off the series in, around mental health, because it is a high-priority topic, and it is very complex. Let's just start with kind of opening it up to how do you think about, in your experiences in working with schools, how do you think about... As more of a systematic approach to supporting youth mental health. What do you see as that systems approach?
1: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there, that there has to be a systems approach. Mental health, you can turn on you know, any news station and there's going to be some mention of it. And it it's an important topic. It's a hot topic, but um, it's one that I think needs a comprehensive integrated effort. I'll kind of go back to my classroom days. I was successful as a classroom teacher because I was able to build relationships, but there were times where I knew one of my students was struggling with mental health concerns and I didn't know what to do about it. And so that systems approach is so vital because if I would have been teaching within an organization that had more of a systems focus, I would have known, you know, I'm not a trained psychologist or counselor, but I know someone who is, and I can help to connect this student, maybe even the family, to those really vital, important services and support mechanisms. So, thinking about that, and then thinking also about my time as an instructional coach, I was in a unique position where I was an instructional coach K through 12 and really thought that I would spend most of my time on instructional delivery and bringing in resources. And 99% of my time was really helping staff and students build relationships and also that element of behavior management. So if we're talking about mental health, we're talking about behavioral health, we're talking about social and emotional competencies, we're talking about uh, behavior management, we're talking about well-being, these things are all connected. And so knowing that this is such a big issue, we have to look at it, I think, from a, a different lens. And that really kind of brings me to approaching student mental health with six areas of focus. And you could call this a systemic approach. You could call it an integrated approach, comprehensive, but really thinking about your system, whether you're at a large district or a small district or a rural or Remote school, or maybe you're in an after school program, really anything that touches the lives of kids, how are we organizing our systems and our tools to work most effectively and efficiently? And so, boiling that down to really six elements of a comprehensive system, I really think, you know, element number one is that common language. So, are we all talking about the same thing in the same way? You know, how are we defining mental health? How are we defining mental illness? Because those are two very different things. How are we defining mental health supports or services? Again, as a classroom teacher, I, was a, I wasn't a trained clinician. However, I definitely had a role in the well-being of my students. And so we all have our role in just kind of defining what that is. I think starting with that common knowledge base and common language is, is key. The second one is, and, you, and we've already talked about it and. Mike, I think we're going to keep talking about it, is this systems approach. And so we need to create a sustainable system for all of our efforts to be housed in. And we'll talk a little bit more later on about MTSS and PBIS, positive behavior supports, and also ISF, the Interconnected Systems Framework. So we want all of our efforts to stick around. I always like to quote Dr. Horner, where he says, don't do anything new unless it's worth doing for at least 10 years. It's good
0: advice. Yeah. Yeah. And as educators, we fail that oftentimes.
1: Yeah. And a lot of it, you know, is top down and a lot of it is just us trying to be on survival mode and do what we think is best. But to really build something that's going to last the test of time and make it system dependent, not person dependent. So I always say, you know, if this whole group, this leadership team or this individual wins the lottery and moves out of this position will these efforts last
0: and i think what you said first in in terms of the six elements Mm -hmm. having common language and common definitions of things is really important from a system standpoint and it's not it's it's not held behind a vault that just the administrators or school counselors or support staff know and understand Mm -hmm. it's it's throughout we all understand what these different words or systems mean and and how they're applied and those types of things and that's really important for that sustainability so that it's not locked up and taken away with one person if they leave it's it's part of your system as a as a school i'm so i'm glad you said that and i think there's there's some complexity in the jargon that is used mm-hmm. with and we're going to get into you know a little bit later into s- the, this acronym soup that it is so common It's so common in education period, but specifically in in this area, when you talk about MTSS and PBIS and all these, you know, these Mm -hmm. different things, not everybody understands what all those are and how they apply and and things like that. So I'm glad we're going to kind of unpack that for our audience. So what else? So you have common language Mm -hmm. is really important. You have systems that we're going to dive deeper into at a later time as kind of element number two. Mm -hmm. Where would you go from there?
1: Oh, probably my favorite one, which is positive relationships. So, you Me know, too. if we're thinking about education, if we're thinking about accomplishing something in the business world, it all boils down to relationships. And it's not something that we often slow down and really talk about. You know, what does it mean? What are the elements of a developmental relationship? The Search Institute does a great job with that. But different dynamics as well, I think, are really important. So when we're thinking about relationships, we're thinking about what are the staff-to-staff relationships? What are the staff-to-student relationships? What are the student-to-student relationships? And what are the staff-to-family relationships? And we've all worked in organizations that some are really good in areas and, you know, some of those dynamics could use some work. And so just being mindful of it and also having those conversations with all the stakeholders involved. There's really no priority, not one that's more important than the other. But one thing that, you know, we should all take away is those staff to staff relations, those adult interactions. Those are really setting the climate and culture of our school, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. So we need to be intentional with what we're modeling for our students as well. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. My biggest question is why wasn't that mentioned as number one? I don't know if these are in any order, but I'm huge on the on the relationship side, and I say that tongue in cheek, but but relationships are so core and critical right. in what we do in schools,
1: right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're they're everything,
0: yeah. So we have common language. We have sustainable systems. we have relationships. What else? What are the other key elements?
1: I really think that you know within schools, we need to look at what environment are we providing. And so I would say the fourth element is really that safe environment. I'd like to kind of add on to that. So it's really my goal with my work, my why, is to help organizations create environments that are positive, consistent, predictable, safe, and equitable. And we can see where those are, they're not the same. They're very complementary of one another. So we've got to be really consistent as adults to make an environment that's predictable, That'll lead to safety. We also want to be positive. We want to be proactive, not just reactive to, you know, issues that arise as we go. Once we have those elements in place, we see great things happen, and we always have to go back and revisit how are we creating those environments. Something I do want to mention with a safe environment, it's not just about the physical environment, even though that is so important. You know, we can walk into someone's home, and we know right away if we feel comfortable or not. It's the same with a school. It's the same with a classroom. So really thinking about not just our perception, but students' perception of safety and also families' perception of safety. We may be dealing with some parents who didn't have the greatest experience at a school. So how can we be cognizant of that and you know change some of those back to relationships, right, Mike?
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: Um, but I also want us to think about students today. And a lot of their interactions, a lot of their communication is done through the digital world. So how are we setting kids up for success to effectively, efficiently, even looking at safety, communicate and interact with each other in a digital world and also foster interactions face-to-face?
0: Yes. Yes. That digital citizenship and, you know, the changes in 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 our lives with social media and access to technology and, and things like that certainly has changed the the landscape of what we're dealing with you know education k-12 education has always been in incre- you know super complicated and i think in the last whatever 20 years it has certainly gotten more complicated Absolutely. With, with with technology there's some now don't get me wrong there's mm-hmm. some great benefits to right. it but there's also some, some insignificant challenges that right. are added to our work as educators with the in, introduction of technology.
1: Yeah, and technology, I mean, it's a tricky topic, scary to some, but it's not really good or bad. It's how we use it that Absolutely. makes it so. I think of schools and, you know, a lot of times we could talk about, we could have, do a totally different series on bullying behavior and cyberbullying, but a lot of times some of these negative interactions happen totally off campus but guess what they end up on campus or the results of those interactions and so we have to be mindful of it and i just really want to think about how are we intentionally setting kids up for success in all realms of their life
0: yep yep absolutely so safe environments mm-hmm. going backwards was number four positive relationships Talked about the systems that we have and then common language so those four elements what would you add to that
1: I'd add to that, what are we doing? So what are our practices? And those practices very much need to be evidence-based. So in schools, we have a history of doing kind of what we've always done because we've always done it and really kind of shining a spotlight or magnifying glass on what are we doing and why are we doing it? And is there evidence that it actually works? And so thinking about evidence-based practices specific to supporting student mental health, we need to really think about how are we explicitly teaching those social and emotional learning behavior skills just as explicitly as we are academic content. This gets back to that whole comprehensive and integrated system. You know, I'll hear things like, well, that's, you know, the parent's role or they're in high school, they should know how to behave by now. Well, guess what? They don't. And they're not always going home to an environment that's rich in teaching some of those compatible skills. So they're coming. A lot of students are coming to us with behavior that is totally inappropriate for school, but it's effective and efficient for them elsewhere, especially at the home. So they may not have the replacement behavior that they need. So it's our job to teach that. So Thinking through those evidence-based practices of what do we know, what has research proved that is tried and true, looking at the social-emotional learning curriculum, which I know, you know is kind of a hot topic in our state right now. But that's just really t- talking about how are we setting up Kids for Success For problem solving, for interacting with others, for setting goals. Another evidence based practice that I think is so crucial in any realm is trauma informed care. So, how are we looking at students and staff and and maybe doing away with judgment as to what's wrong with you and moving towards what's happened to you? And how has that impacted the way you see the world, the way you react to the world? And looking at you know, not just students and staff, but how are policies trauma-informed, how are our practices trauma-informed, and what can we do to reach out to the community?
0: Yeah. Can we go back to, the, and both of those are huge aspects of the big picture that we're talking about, the social-emotional learning and support for students and the trauma-informed mm-hmm. care. Going back to social-emotional learning, why do you think that that has become so politicized, I guess, recently, and I don't want to give it too much, I guess, emphasis because I feel like we've from the beginning of education, as we know it mm-hmm. in in K-12 education, there's always been elements of of teaching students, you know, how to behave socially mm-hmm. within a school environment and those types of things. So I don't feel like this is new ground right. necessarily, but all of a sudden it's it's become for some a politicized conversation. Why do you think that is?
1: I think it goes back to our element number one of lacking of a common language. And so a lot of times I think we're having conversations and we may feel that those sitting around the table are having the same conversations, but we're actually defining those key terms differently. And so the conversation, we're not all in the same boat rowing in the same direction, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. And there's a number six. What would you say the last element of a healthy system is?
1: and this is the one and I probably shouldn't put it as the last one these are in no order but to really thinking you know back to those relationships and the adults modeling what's appropriate and what's not appropriate we also need to model self-care and so I just had this conversation with a different organization earlier this morning and staff wellness is a huge issue And a lot of times we'll talk about self-care, like join a walking group or, you know, think about your nutrition, but I think we need to look at it from a bigger level or lens and that's really organizational wellness because, you know, if you're practicing all of those things that are leading to individual wellness, but you're going to work every day in a broken system, it's really difficult to carry that out. So we really wanna think about how are we modeling staff wellness, mindfulness, how are we disrupting indirect trauma at the individual level and then also at the organizational level?
0: Can you give an example of what, is, what does self-care look like in a, in a school setting?
1: Yeah, I, I could give probably more of non examples, but thinking back to my own experience, I felt like I was most effective when I was I had the necessary resources, the necessary time, I had a, gr- a collaborative group to lean on where we were all you know after the same objective, and so I think those items are really really important. Also, down to the individual level, I know that. I am less triggered when I'm rested. So, how can we provide an atmosphere for staff where they are coming to us, they're healthy, they're rested? If there is a a disturbance, which there always is going to be, there's a mechanism of support for the staff as well.
0: Yep, yeah, and you hit on a couple things that I was thinking about. Time is a is a big one. Is having, you know, I tried to do this as a as a principal is is having some built-in time for the individual to do the work Mm -hmm. that they need to do because teaching and and all the things that we do in education Mm -hmm. is really complex and takes time and thought and and you need that individual time. But then also that collaboration time, a a way, time and structure so that whatever my job is, teaching or counseling or whatever it might be, I have opportunity to work with my peers Mm -hmm. and collaborate and learn from them and to work on some problem solving together so you're not isolated and and so sometimes you think of self-care as just what do you have to do to be by yourself or to take that time for yourself which is definitely part of Mm -hmm. it but sometimes that an important part of self-care is being able to access and be around people that you need to be successful in what you're what you're doing
1: absolutely i think you know, something that I have a lot of conversations around with educators and clinicians is that sense of belongingness for kids. And I think we need that for staff as well.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So if those are the key ingredients for a successful system, and thank you for walking through those. And just to review, we talked about common language. We talked about systems. And and we're going to come, come back to that in more detail. Positive relationships, safe environments, evidence-based practices. And that's when you talked about Social emotional learning and trauma informed care are some examples, and then self care. So, those six elements as being critical as part of it, ingredients for a successful system. What do you see as the biggest gaps that schools are often trying to fill within those systems?
1: I think the biggest hurdle we have is that typically we're reacting. And so there's very little time or space or even resources for us to set up that system. And, of course, we can get into there's some missing ingredients within the systems. But really looking at how can we create something, kind of do our due diligence at the beginning of the process rather than having to put out fires throughout the school year.
0: Yeah, and why is that? I mean, is that just because there's this change in leadership or is it an inconsistency in approaches? Is it, why, why is that a problem?
1: I think we can always depend on change. We're always going to have new staff, administrators. We're going to have new family students. And so how are we setting up that back to systems so we're ready for change? How are we onboarding new students mid-year? We're going to get kids all year long. I always tease, especially during testing season, right? That's when we see an influx. So how are we setting up the system? How are we writing it down? I always say if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. So again, being system-dependent versus person-dependent, that's the key, And that's not easy to do. And it takes time. So if we look at the research behind setting up, you know, a multi-tiered system of support or positive behavior supports for that just foundational level for what we're doing for all kids and staff, that takes three to five years. And we always feel like we're already behind. So I've seen schools that have attempted to implement or create that framework or structure. And, you know, they get a little bit down the road and they say, this doesn't work. Well, it takes time. And the tough part about that is, you know, building it from the ground level, starting at the, your universal strategies. You still have kids that need a little bit more and you still have kids that need a whole lot more. So how do you go about your, you know, your routines and daily life? building while also supporting kids with some pretty intense needs.
0: Yeah. With that, let's say I'm a school administrator and I'm listening to this podcast. I'm hearing these six things and I feel like I'm just kind of reaching for, I, I, I need help. I need I need to get, you know, all these things in place, but I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. And, or we can't get there fast enough because I'm, I'm feeling really desperate as a, as a administrator to put all these things in place or would you recommend they start?
1: Well, I, you know, I'm a true believer in PBIS. So, I've even been called the PBIS lady at the grocery store. And I realize when I'm thinking about positive behavior interventions and supports, it's just a framework of how to be better organized, effective, and efficient with what we do organization-wide, that's, you know, at the district level, the school level, the classroom level to really impact kids. I believe in it because I've experienced it. When I was a classroom teacher, I was doing a lot of those things. I just didn't have a name for it. So I'll visit schools all the time. And they're like, no, we haven't done PBIS, but they're using evidence-based practices. They're looking at it from a multi-tiered approach. And yes, they are doing it. They're just not labeling it that. So really thinking about, okay, what, what do we want behavior to be like for all, all meaning all, all kids, all staff, what are our core values and then how are we explicitly going to teach those that's kind of the beginning of it and then you build from there
0: awesome thank you i think that's helpful you know as we talk about Complex. I, I think it is complex, but mm-hmm. there's a lot to it, and sometimes it's it, you get paralysis by analysis. Mm-hmm. Like all these different things, I need to put in place. Where do I go? Mm-hmm. And I think having a starting place, mm-hmm. where to zero in. I think PBIS, I think, is a is a great example of where you where you can start. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So as part of this podcast, we're trying to identify successes and examples where schools and systems are doing things really well. You work a lot of schools and districts, Mm -hmm. you know, mostly in the state, maybe beyond. I'm not sure. What are some examples that you would point out that perhaps others can learn from some some areas of success that you've seen?
1: Well, I always go back to kind of my magic wand scenario, and that's the Idaho Aware Project, which we may talk about a little bit later as well. But the Idaho Aware Project was funded, it was written in the spring of 2020. So we all know there was a lot going on during that time. Was
0: there? Yeah, something. Something. Okay, yeah, it's all a blur.
1: Um, Yeah. It was funded in, I believe, September, October of 2020. And so that is a, the Idaho Aware Project is funded through SAMHSA. And it's really focusing on student wellness.
0: SAMHSA is just for our listeners.
1: Oh, you're really testing me here. Just
0: you don't need to know the acronym, but what in general what is SAMHSA?
1: So SAMHSA is the substance abuse mental health kind of leg of the federal government where they're looking at providing support and funding. Thank you. So yeah, but the Idaho Aware project was written by the Idaho State Department of Education and I was lucky enough to be a part of that team And so we could look at all of the other projects that had taken place nationwide and in the state of Idaho, because we are unique, and what works and what do we need, rather than we're going to try to buy a program or a package and make it work from there. And so it's very comprehensive. The focus is on rural school districts, because when we look at the research, they're typically done in these huge urban districts, and that does not look like a lot of places in Idaho. And so the three districts participating in the Idaho AWARE project, again, that's an Idaho State Department of Education project, are Marsing School District, um, Glens Ferry School District, and Kimberly School District. We've been working, we're on year four of the five-year project, and they're all very similar and very, very different. And so each came into the project at different levels of implementation of evidence based practices. They had different resources within their community or lacking resources within their communities, and they are doing really, really great things. Again, I mentioned that we could kind of build everything we needed in. So those three rural school districts, they each have a district level executive leadership team. So what are we doing as a district? When we look at, you know, the implementation blueprints, we really need to do it from a district perspective, and then it boils down to leadership teams at the school level. And so they have all of those in place. They've received multiple trainings at different levels. Not everyone needs to go to every training. And so their school leadership teams and executive leadership teams have received Tier 1 of PBIS training, Tier 2 of PBIS training, and will go through Tier 3 of PBIS training in the summer. They've also received training for all staff within each of the districts on trauma-informed care and really boiling that down to what are some classroom practices that we could use? Because we all know it's an issue, we all know the theory, but what are some things that we can actually put to use when we see kids, you know, next Monday or Tuesday? They've also received Sources of Strength training. I was new to Sources of Strength I went into it thinking it was a suicide prevention program. It's so much more. It's all about staff and student wellness and creating that sense of belonging. So they've received all of the support. They've also attended some regional and national conferences. And one of the most unique elements of the Idaho Aware project is that we are able to place a mental health clinician within each of those school districts. Wow. And so we're really trying to move away from co-located. I think back to my teaching days, it was very much co-located if we had one at all, to integrated. And so that clinician is actually integrated into the district. They are there all day. So typically if a clinician or someone from that field is coming in, we're, we're coming in to put out a fire. Well, In this approach, we want them built into the climate and culture. So we are trying to decrease stigma of mental health supports. We are trying to make them a safe person. That clinician is also a part of the leadership teams. So yeah, a lot of the work they do is at that tier three individualized level, but they have great ideas for tier two and tier one. And so building them in to the project from the base level and then building up from there.
0: Wow, that's awesome. So the, those three districts were Glens Ferry, Kimberly, and Marsing. And I have a, a, some time set aside mm-hmm. where I'm going to go out and talk to Norm Stewart and his right. team out in Marsing. Mm-hmm. So it'll be good to dovetail off of this conversation and actually go in and talk to that district and learn about what they're doing with the Idaho Aware Project as well as kind of their whole community school model, which right. would be a really fun conversation to have. So with the Idaho Wear Project, you mentioned those three schools. Are those the only three schools in Idaho? And is there an opportunity out there for other schools to be part of this in some way?
1: Let me come back to that, Mike, because one thing I want to mention is a barrier, because we can't just talk about, you know, this magic wand scenario without also talking about brick walls we've hit. And one of those is a lack of clinicians in the state of Idaho. So for one of my first experiences, having the funding, having, you know, a well-written plan, we're not building the plane in flight. We know exactly what we're after. I didn't think or I didn't expect it to be so difficult to find those trained, licensed clinicians to place into schools. And so now we have the money, we have the funding, but we don't have the individuals or we don't have the right individuals. So we want clinicians that are trained to work with kids. We want them to have a rich background in trauma-informed care. So I just wanted to mention that great things are happening, but it's not without struggles as well.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that will, I have some other conversations down the road that kind of talk a little bit more about that. Um, one in particular, hopefully with Jackie Yarbrough at the Blue Cross of Idaho mm-hmm. Foundation have the, the, done some work in, the, in that area to kind of identify some of those challenges and things like that. So that'll be a good part of it. But I think that's the reality and, and maybe something we have to be aware of is in the state of Idaho with our ruralness. And mm-hmm. there is there is some significant barriers that we face that are maybe unique to our geography or, or mm-hmm. our state that we need to be aware of, but also keep pursuing and figuring out how to unlock or or break down those barriers at the same time. So yeah. good, good stuff. So thank you for that.
1: Can I go back to your original question before yes. I started talking about barriers? Cause you brought up Jackie Yarbrough from Blue Cross of Idaho foundation for health, and she is on the advisory board for the Idaho aware project. So she's very aware of the work that's being done, the impact, the outcomes from that work and so Blue Cross of Idaho Foundation for Health has actually funded a cohort of schools that's very much modeled after the Idaho Wear Project. So my goal with Idaho Wear Project, I know it's only three districts, and there's, a you know, 100-plus districts in the state of Idaho. But if we can create some exemplars, some places where you can actually walk through the doors and see it being done and see how it's being done, I think is so powerful. And so Blue Cross has replicated kind of at a smaller scale, but very intentional, very much following the research, the implementation blueprint and has identified and is working, and I'm providing the training for Parma School District, Notice School District, and Cascade School District, and we're starting from the ground up, and we're building our Tier 1 system for MTSS, PBIS, and then eventually adding in those mental health supports where we get into that interconnected systems framework.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and that's, those exemplars is really what we're looking for and saying here's here's where it's working really well. Mm-hmm. How do we replicate and expand that to other schools and exactly what you're talking about. So good for you. And, and for those schools, maybe that are out there trying to figure out what to do and how to, what this might look like in their own district. We mentioned, you know, these, these schools that you just mentioned and, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe, and they're
1: very friendly.
0: Yeah. Maybe there's an opportunity for a little field trip. If you're listening and trying to figure out what this might look like in your district, gas up the vehicle and take a drive to either Kimberly or Marsing or, what was the other one? Glens Ferry. Mm-hmm. I hope those districts are okay with that. So. I'm
1: sure they are.
0: All right, Katie, anything else? Um, I know we're going to come back to some other um, parts of, of this conversation, specifically with MTSS and PBIS. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you'd like to share at this time that maybe we didn't uh, touch on?
1: Just that I think you know, student mental health, behavior, well-being, again, all connected, That's kind of everyone's responsibility. And so how can we come together as organizations, as stakeholder groups to, you know, kind of all be in the same effort to build the same thing that's sturdy and sustainable?
0: Yeah, well said. And and I think it summarizes this conversation really well. And also creates kind of a nice jumping off point for a lot of other conversations that we're going to have as part of this series on supporting youth mental health in Idaho schools. So for those that are listening, thank you and tune in for our future episodes around this topic. And once again, thanks, Katie, for your expertise and your time on this topic.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us to explore education, leadership, innovation and impact here on Bloom Together. We encourage you to continue these dialogues in your communities, classrooms, and organizations.
1: Be sure to visit bloom.org slash together where you can discover more episodes or click join the conversation if you'd like to be a guest. Until next time, keep learning, keep blooming, and keep making an impact one conversation at a time.